0: Here, guys, and stand to the side so I'm not uh, blocking the scripture when it comes up. It's good to be with you. I was kind of hoping that you would do this retreat in Florida <laughs> or someplace where you could play basketball outside, you know. Uh, you'd have to have ice skates on to play basketball outside tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> my wife was with the ladies last week. Um, how many of you had wives or girlfriends on that retreat? Wow. Wow. Okay, wow. That means that uh, you've probably been preached to all week, you know. So, no, no. Uh, You were in Greece. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, my wife had a great time with your ladies, and um, she just came back and she said that um, she was so impressed that the women of this church were incredibly teachable and um, just hungry for God and um, you know she said it was one of the most receptive groups that she's ever spoken to there was the there were very few and and, um, of course we can say this about men too I mean it's uncommon with women to find a women's group where there's not coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms and and kind of strategizing and and she said it was just none of that it just felt really uh, a lot of freedom among your ladies and so uh, and that is a tribute to your leadership and to the fact that there's uh, uh, that kind of freedom among the men. And we want more. We want more. And this weekend we're going to talk about real spirituality. Tonight we're going to talk about real accountability. We're going to make a little shift. I want to talk about real honesty, real truthfulness. Um, The reason I'm making this shift is that if you talk about real accountability without... And we'll talk about accountability in group stuff too. But if you go to accountability before you go to the discipline of honesty, you get... uh, a facade and the accountability is not as deep and so I want to talk about fighting the right battles now when I was with you was it July for your retreat August was much warmer then you know and uh uh, did I did I uh, talk to you uh, I know I didn't preach a a sermon on the concept of fighting the right battles but I did I talk to you a little bit about fighting the right battles I don't think I did you know, you talk about winning the battle in yourself. Um, I haven't won that yet. I'm still fighting it on a daily basis. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Tonight, um, my girls and I, I have a 17-year-old who will be 18 in a couple weeks. And, um, and I have a 16-year-old who thinks she's 18. And, uh, and, and we got into it. And they wanted something, and they and I was stressed out. I had still work stuff to do, and I was getting ready to drive up here. And and uh, they picked the wrong time to ask me for stuff, you know. And um, I ended up getting pretty intense with them. And uh, one of them had to go to work, and the other one took her to work. And and I'm getting ready to leave, and as I'm leaving, I realize, man, I can't go speak when I just was too harsh with my daughters. And so praise God for text messaging. aren't you glad the Lord invented text messaging you know and I I sent a text I sent a text to them both please forgive me I was too harsh with you Uh, now what I didn't add was I was right and I'm not going to change my mind I didn't do that but I I had to own the part of that battle where um, I, I, I went over the line with them and I got back a text from one it's okay dad already forgiven already forgotten And I got a text from the other one. "Um, I understand, Dad. Uh, Sorry for picking on you when you were stressed or something like that. You know, I love you. And um, those are the kind of battles that we're still fighting on a daily basis. Surrendering, saying, Lord, help me to be sensitive. When I am too harsh with my wife, with my daughters, with my son, um, I want to fight the right battles. And I think often in the church, we fight the wrong battles. Um, When you think back... Uh, to the scriptures. The disciples seemed like they were always fighting the wrong battle. Um, you remember James and John when they were coming through Samaria and there was a village that didn't receive Jesus the right way. And you remember what their comment was? Jesus, throw, call down fire on them. And I, I just picture Jesus kind of shaking his head, going, Father, these are the ones you chose, okay? These are the ones you call. I, you had me call to myself. And he says, wrong battle, guys. And then uh, Peter in the garden. You all remember that scene when, when uh, he pulls out his sword when the temple guard comes to get Jesus. And instead of taking on somebody that was armed, he cuts the ear off the high priest servant boy, who Josephus estimates to be about 12, and unarmed. And Peter cuts his ear off. Okay, And Jesus, I think, as he heals the kid's ear, is shaking his head saying, Peter, you're using all of your time, all of your energy to fight the wrong battles here. And, um, and, I, and I think in the church and as men, we fight the wrong battles. Um, let me give you an example. I was golfing a few years ago. Did I tell you guys a story about the swearing golfer? Oh, you got to hear this. This is a great story, okay? This is not in my notes. And it is being recorded, so <coughs> whatever. Um, I, I was golfing a few years ago and i was with uh, my pastor mike plunkett and i was with another guy who was a christian and they put a young man with us who was a horrible golfer and he was but he was a prolific and a gifted swearer he was the best curser i'd ever met this kid could put together expletives that would have made a sailor blush and he was very you know creative in his use of curse words and um, and the way he was playing golf that day, he earned every word. He was terrible. And so now I've heard Christians fight the battle for behavior in those moments. And, and there may be a time for a healthy rebuke. Please understand, I'm, this isn't some kind of a comprehensive concept. But I've heard them say, you know, you're taking the name of the Lord by God in vain. And they win the battle for behavior, but they don't win the battle for the heart. And so I'm praying, Lord, how do I talk to this kid? Because it really wasn't any fun golfing with him, you know. Not only was he terrible, but the air was turning blue around us, okay. So finally about the fourth hole, I got an idea, and I think the Lord gave it to me. Um, And I turned to him, and his name was Mike also, and I said, "Uh, Mike, um, have you ever considered that you're praying the wrong prayer? And he looked at me and he said, what the bleepity bleep are you talking about? I don't believe in God, why would I bleepity bleep pray? And I said, well, you're praying the wrong prayer. Um, you know, I, every time you say, God damn it, he does. It goes into the woods, into the water, behind the bushes. And he looks at me and he goes, that's a prayer? And I said, yeah, and it's working for you. And he said, well, what should I pray? I said, well, I don't know. Why don't you try God bless it? And he said, would that work? I said, can't hurt. You stink. You gotta, might as well try something, you know? And uh, so he got on the next tee and we're standing there and he gets over the ball and he looks back at me. And he goes, God bless it? And it was more of a question you know, than a prayer. God bless it? And he looks at me, and I give him a thumbs up, and he turns to hit the ball, and I start praying. Oh, God, we need a miracle. You know what I mean? (laughs) Lord, Lord, you got to help this kid, you know? And uh, he swings, and he hits the ball, and it's the furthest drive he's hit all day, and it goes right straight down the middle of the fairway. And he turns and looks at me like he's seen a ghost. And he says, you're in touch with the supernatural. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> but something happened in that moment. He, uh, he stopped swearing. Uh, all of a sudden he realized he was with some people that had at least some sensitivity to God. And he started asking us every question he ever had about the Lord. <clears throat> and then he started to share how he'd been hurt by Christians. And uh, I share that story because when we fight the battle for behavior in our own lives... And don't go beneath the surface and go to the root issues. We're dealing with symptoms. And, and so I've learned this lesson with teenagers. If I'm always fighting the battle for behavior with my teenagers, guess what? I'm going to lose the battle for their hearts. There comes a point as parents, and those of you that have had teenagers know this one, when you have to say, Lord, you know they belong to you. I dedicated them to you. I trust you. I can't win this battle for behavior, but Lord, help me get to their heart. And if you can win their heart, guess what? Ultimately, you're going to win both battles. And, uh, but I want to apply that to yourself. We fight the battle for our behavior too much. And I think we need to begin to say, Lord, help me go to the root. Help, help me go to the real issues. And so this weekend, I want to talk about the real stuff. We're going to talk about real honesty, real accountability. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about uh, real grieving. And dealing with real loss and pain and real emotions. And uh, I'm going to give you some directive both tonight and tomorrow after tomorrow's lecture uh, that I think will lead you in some group time tomorrow morning and then in the afternoon for some solitude time, from silent time. And, uh, and then uh, tomorrow night after supper, uh, we're going to look at uh, some issues about real freedom, uh, a lecture that I call Bounded Set, Centered Set. But before we go any further, let's pray. Okay? Father, we surrender this time to you. We have intentionally made space for you this weekend. We've made space for one another, and we're really glad that we're together here with our friends, our brothers. But Lord, we declare we're making space for the living God in our lives this weekend. That's really what spiritual disciplines are, Father. It's, it's making space for... In the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the hurry, in the midst of the noise, in the midst of everything that distracts us, we are now declaring we make space for the living God. And Lord, I pray you that we would not waste it. So often, Lord, we set apart time and then when you start to come near, we rush away or we put up our defenses. And so we, we say, Lord, go to our hearts. We want the real battles won this weekend. We want the battle for our heart. And Father, even that may mean we need to get our fixation off the surface stuff that the enemy distracts us with. We want to go deep, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the discipline of honesty. My little subtitle there, speaking the truth when a lie would work better. Okay, Um, I have been teaching spiritual formation now for about 11 years. Um, as a college course, and and now a seminary course. In fact, John was in my and is in my class, and he's going to get an A because he's going to pay attention on this retreat, you know, and and uh, he's going to hear some of these lectures twice. Um, but uh, if you look at uh, contemporary contemporary spiritual formation, uh, I think we need to deal with honesty as a discipline. Now, you're not going to find the discipline of honesty in the classic writings about spiritual formation. You know where you talk about the discipline of fasting and the discipline of study and solitude, um, but I, I think if there's a book being written on spiritual formation today, I, I think we have to talk about the discipline of honesty, because our culture is really prone to dishonesty. I'll give you a few examples. Recent Gallup poll indicated that 75% of the population felt that lying was necessary in daily life, and the other 25 percent are probably lying. Okay, um, okay. Uh, a recent ABC News special showed that children had learned to lie by the age of five, and uh, my kids learned way before that. I don't know what kids they were looking at, but you know, I, I'm my first memory of my oldest daughter is coming out and seeing uh, cake all over her face that was for a party later, and uh, she had gotten into the cake and ruined it, but enjoyed it. And uh, we asked her, did you eat that cake? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Evidence was all over, okay? And so, uh, you know, obviously you don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child, you know, to uh, shade the truth or deceive. It they, they basically comes naturally to them. Uh, the same special showed teenagers lying about finding a loaded gun. Uh, they put them in this room and in the room there were drawers and they put a gun in there for some reason, I don't know why they were doing it that way. And when they came back, if the teenager had found it, they would ask, uh, did you find anything interesting? No. 65% of them lied about it. Uh, Prominent leaders in our government have been exposed in lies with their approval ratings going largely unaffected. In fact, there have been a few times where politicians have been caught in a lie and their approval ratings went up. um, And people were saying things like, of course they'd lie about that. I respect them more because they did. And so it shows the twisted nature of our culture. Uh, We live in a culture where dishonesty is a way of life. And I don't think that the church is immune to it. Now, it often looks different in the church. I I think deceit and dishonesty has a different face in the body of Christ than it does. But it's the same issue. Um, One example. Have you ever driven to church on a Sunday morning and you're fighting with your wife, you're fighting with your kids, you're fighting with yourself, and all of a sudden when you pull up to the church, a miracle takes place. You get out and it's like, God bless you, brother. How you doing? You know, and that holy, <laughs> the Holy Ghost smile comes over us. You know, and and uh, and the kids are looking at you going, Wow, Dad needs to stay at church all the time. You know, and uh, and so the reality is there's there's this deceit, this lack of integrity. It affects us. But it sometimes a, it takes a different face in church. The church is called to be a community of truth, though. Now let's look at this uh, from the New Testament's perspective. The, the word for truth in the Greek is aletheia. It means to not be concealed. Uh, the prefix a means non or not, and lethano. the root word, is to be uh, covered over or buried. And so when the word truth is used, it means to live an unconcealed or an open life. And so we're called to be that kind of a people. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, and so he's contrasting. That's the world. That's, that's where we used to live. And that deceitfulness and that cunning and that treachery, uh, we're to be done with that. That's no longer who we are. Um, if you look further in Ephesians for or further back, uh, that's where he starts the whole issue of um, changing gears in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapters one through three. He gives them very few commands chapters 1 through 3 he basically says this is who you are you're holy and blameless you are set apart you're seated in the heavenlies he talks about their being their ontology who they are and then when he gets to chapter 4 he says therefore live a life worthy of the calling you've received and then he begins to give some directives out of their being out of who they are and he says to them you're not like the world instead Speaking the truth in love. Now, pause there for a minute. That means that when we talk about this discipline of honesty, it's not an excuse to be rude. Okay? It's not an excuse to be harsh or mean-spirited or unkind. Um, the balance, I think, here is that we are to live an unconcealed life and we are to be honest, but love is to bathe the atmosphere of truth. And that makes all the difference. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So my my conclusion of this is that truth is necessary for spiritual formation. Real truth and real honesty is necessary if you're going to grow. If you are not going to go there, if you're going to hide, if you're going to cover, then the result is going to be rampant and continuous immaturity in your life and in your family and in your church. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Then verse 26 is often, I think, misunderstood. You have to understand verse 26 in the context of honesty and truth-telling. And he says, in your anger, and the main point's not anger here, guys. In your anger, do not sin. Well, how would I sin in my anger? Here's how. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Here's what he's saying don't cover it. Don't bury it. Don't live a concealed life so that your anger is pushed down underneath the surface and not dealt with. Now, let me give you a little bit of of a break. I, I don't think this metaphor, do not let the sun go down on your anger, means that you must deal with it before sunset always. What he's saying is don't let a long time pass. When you're covering stuff over, when you're living a concealed life, you've got to get it to the surface. A few years ago, I was uh, doing a marriage counseling. um, It was a crisis counseling moment. And the couple came, and they were covered in macaroni and cheese and screaming at each other. Literally, they had macaroni and cheese on their face, on their clothes. And uh, I just started laughing. And I said, I got to hear this story. How would you get macaroni and cheese all over you? And they got in a fight. And they threw macaroni and cheese at each other. And they were hot. They're yelling. They're, I mean, nobody wants to go see their pastor this angry. But as they're doing this, I need you to know, I, I, my hope for their marriage grew. And the reason is, is there was real passion expressed in a very honest, now the love was lacking, obviously, but you only get angry and passionate about what you care about. And so there was hope there for them. And and they were expressing it. They were getting it to the surface. Now they needed some help in how to express it. And the truth is there's a great success story. I wish I could tell you the whole story of how they recovered from that. But what concerns me is the couple that comes and the sun has gone down again and again and again on their anger. They've buried it. They've covered it. They've chosen not to live an Alethea marriage or life. And the result is passivity and apathy and they give up and and when you choose not to live in truth the enemy gets a foothold and you give up and you slowly lose your passion and you slowly lose the ability to express uh, even those painful things and so the, com- the church is called to be a community of truth the church needs to be a place where the truth is spoken in love james 5 16 therefore confess your sins to each other And pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. Again, um, get what is on the inside out to the surface. Um, I I think in many ways we have overreacted as Protestants to the confessional booth concept. Um, Certainly, I'm not saying that we should set up a confessional booth in our church and go confess our sins to Edward, although that might not be a bad idea, because even though Jesus is our great high priest, we are the priesthood of all believers to one another. Um, one time at a, a moment of crisis in my, my ministry, I, I remember going to my mentor who was also a pastor and saying to him, Terry, I, I'm dealing with stuff and, and I need help and I'm living in condemnation. And we went into his office and he said, let it go. And I started to confess and uh, I started to get what was on the inside out. And he listened and he prayed with me and he counseled. And then he said, kneel down before the cross. And I remember kneeling down in his office and and confessing it to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Terry laid his hands on me. And he said, You are forgiven. Now I knew in that moment that he was not saying, on the basis of me as a man, as a mentor, I forgive you. I knew in that moment that the forgiveness came from Jesus. I knew the theology behind it. But sometimes guys, we need another brother to say, you are forgiven. And when I heard that, it, it was like something lifted and the power of the cross became reality. He was Jesus with skin on in that moment. And I believe it's time for us to begin to, to do that and be that for one another. Now let's talk about some values of honesty as a discipline. Um, we're going to talk about what it looks like, but let's talk about why I value it. First of all, When we choose into living Aletheia life, truth will always confront the sin of hypocrisy. It will always confront the sin of hypocrisy. The quickest way for you and I to confront uh, that temptation to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside is to say, I'm committed to telling the truth to men, to people that I trust. And truth will confront the sin of hypocrisy. Jesus said to the Pharisees, because that was their issue, Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And, and Jesus goes after the leaders with more energy than any other sinner. Why? Because they're living a concealed life. And it's killing them. You know, the truth is, I think Jesus was the best friend the Pharisees had. Because he told them what they needed to hear and gave them a shot at real freedom. Because suddenly he just pulled back the mask and he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity for truth. Now, I know it sounds like he's being harsh. I know it sounds like he's being you know, really mean to them. But along comes Jesus, and he is the best opportunity for freedom that they had ever had. And so this issue of honesty will confront our temptation to live a double life. Guys, there's this thing called entitlement, and I think a lot of men suffer from entitlement. And entitlement is when we say, you know, I've worked hard all week, um, I've 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 done the right thing, I deserve a release, I deserve, and we go into this secret life stuff. And it kills us. It kills us. And so when we begin to say, I need to find men that I can trust and and that can trust me and begin to live aletheia life, uh, it confronts our temptation to be uh, duplicitous or full of hypocrisy. John Bradshaw puts it this way, you are as sick as the secrets you keep. Um, What are the secrets that you are having to use energy to keep buried? Because the energy that you are using to keep those things hidden will also turn into hypocrisy. And we've got to choose to confront it. That's one of the values of the discipline of honesty. Let me move on. Second thing uh, I see is this. Truth is necessary for real healing to take place. Truth is necessary for real healing. Um, When David was crying out in Psalm 51... Uh, after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, um, there's this amazing prayer of repentance. And he says this, God, surely you desire truth, the light of God, in the innermost parts. God, it's not just that you want to expose my adultery. It's not that you just want to expose the fact that I've committed murder. You want to bring truth and light to the reason why I did it. Because the only chance I have at healing is if I let the light of God in beneath the symptoms and teach me wisdom in my innermost place. Um, I I believe, guys, we're going to be thwarted in our pursuit of spiritual wholeness as long as we refuse to come into the light, to come into the truth. And so this discipline of honesty, that besetting sin you have, um, may be a physical issue maybe you need healing emotionally maybe you need a healing in some area of your relationship and you're wondering why can't I get over that why can't my wife and I experience healing there why do I continually deal with this it may be rooted that may be the symptom the deeper issue is that you may need to see say Lord would you bring your light and your truth to the deepest place of my being because true truth is necessary for real healing to take place third true love requires truth true love requires truth let me put it to you this way if I present to you um, a person that I'm not that's not really true it's not really who I am um, I play act I pretend to be something I'm not and let's say in doing that um, the crowd loves me the crowd really applauds me for instance um you know the actor robin williams okay um i'm going to show my age his first role was mork on mork and mindy and if you remember that you're old too okay (laughs) um but that man has intrigued me over the years because i don't know who he is um He's played a series of characters that are very different. He's played some dark characters. He's played some scary characters. And then he's this comedian. But I, I've seen him on TV at times, on a, like the Tonight Show. And I thought, oh, good. I want to see, finally, he's going to get serious. Finally, we'll see who he really is. And you have never seen the real Robin Williams. When he's even on a show being interviewed, he plays another character. And I've begun to wonder, does he know who he is? Now, here's what's sad. I think the problem is not just with Robin Williams. I think we all do that. But when you present a person, a character, that you are not, and the room full of people love you and applaud you, it will not feed your soul. Because you will know at the core of your being they don't really love you. They just love the character. And so if you want real love in your innermost being if you want love to feed who you really are you've got to lay down the facade and there's a risk involved because the lie we all believe is this if you really knew who i was you would reject me we believe that because we don't understand the power of the gospel and also the power of the gospel in others toward us that if we finally drop the pretension and begin to say i'm going to be real love begins to flow i'll give you one other example of this Uh, I taught a lot of freshman classes for years at Nyack College. It was amazing to me how freshmen would come in posing and pretending to be something they were not. Uh, One year, this kid, he was probably 300 pounds. He was bigger than I was and out of shape, probably not as out of shape as I am. But he started his introductions in this freshman class by saying, "Yeah, I had a full-ride football scholarship to Ohio State, um, but I chose to turn it down to follow Jesus and come to Nyack. Now, I'm sitting there, and the whole room is sitting there going, that is the biggest load of crap we've ever heard. Everybody knew he was lying. Um, and, and But this kid so desired to be something on this new college campus that he was attending that he was willing to lie through his teeth in order to be accepted. But what's sad is that even if they had loved him, and ultimately that young man got free, but he got when he got free, that's when real love started to flow to him. And so true love is a requirement, truth is a requirement. In 1 John 1, it says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness. Now, I, I want to clarify the metaphor here. Sometimes when we think of darkness, we're thinking in sin, in you know, some secretive, that's, I don't think that's the primary issue. I think darkness means hiddenness, deceit, Covered over lethano living and I think light is talking about aletheia I don't think light means perfection And I don't necessarily think that darkness means that the person is very very evil Uh, I think it's possible for a person not to have a lot of sin in their life, but to be hiding and still live in darkness And so read it the metaphor that way if we claim to have fellowship with him yet We choose to continue hiding and masking, and veiling, and covering, then we lie, and we don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, and to walk in the light does not mean to walk in perfection, guys. If we say, I'm done hiding, I'm not perfect, I got flaws, I have sins, I have issues, but the grace of God has freed me from living a concealed life, I'm going to risk living in the light with one another. And if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What that verse tells me is that this aletheia, this truth living, if you choose not to enter into it, it will rob you of two of the greatest blessings that you get in the new covenant. Fellowship with one another, koinonia, real intimate sharing. You'll, you'll, you'll miss it. And you'll also not experience the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Christ. Why? Because though you may be a Christian and though you may be saved, I think there are countless Christians that choose to live in hiding and never actualize the freedom of forgiveness. And it's because we hide. And so those are the three values. So um, I I think that the enemy is out to keep you in hiding. In fact, I think one of his biggest uh, tools, one of the primary ways he tries to destroy you is with secrecy. Um, in fact the little whisper that you hear don't share that keep quiet about that don't let anybody know i want you to know that is not the voice of the lord now it may be your voice it might be your fear but that's what the enemy used to keep us in secrecy because he knows that if men get real with one another and begin to open up And deal with the root issues and not just the symptoms. Because a lot of times in men's groups, we confess, oh, you know, I'm struggling with this sexual issue. Or I'm struggling with... I'm talking go deeper. Go deeper. Not just lust. Lust is a symptom. Not just anger. Anger is a symptom. Go to the root. Say, it's time for me to talk about why I struggle. What's going on in the deepest place of my being. So life in the flesh feeds on deceit. And I believe that's why the enemy is called the prince of darkness. Because he is the master. He is the prince of hiddenness and secrecy. And, he's, and that's what he uses. Now, I won't spend a long time on this. There are examples from church history um, of the discipline of honesty. Uh, Pre-Reformation. There are healthy examples of people using the confessional booth. Yes, even in the Catholic Church. In a healthy way. Understanding that Jesus was the the great high priest. There's there were priests and there were people that understood that. And uh and so when the reformers left, they didn't abandon the need for accountability, for honesty. And so they formed prayer groups and they formed places where that kind of ministry, the confessional booth lifestyle could continue. Um, if you look at the Puritans, they're very honest in their journaling. Uh, when you read the journals of the Puritans Uh, you find this discipline of honesty. And then in the renewal and revival groups, as you move through church history, uh, specifically Wesley, um, Wesley would form his followers into groups. They were called Methodists because they had set things that they did every week. One of the things they would do is they would ask this question, how are things with your soul? How are things with your soul? That was actually a question we took and used in our church in California in our small groups. Uh, And sometimes that was the only question we needed for a two-hour small group. How are things with your soul? And then it would take off and people would begin to share. And so this discipline of honesty is seen all through church history as well. Well, let's get practical. What's it look like? How do we do it? Uh, The first place that I would encourage you to get practical with this is in your prayer life. Now... um, Wonder of Wonders, we lie to God. Okay? We lie to God in our prayers by hurrying through, rushing through. Um, some of us have a prayer list we pray through, and it becomes so ritualistic that we never get to the real issues. Um, there's a whole teaching I could do on the discipline of prayer, but my suggestion would be to pray the scriptures and let the scriptures speak to you. Let them reaffirm Christ's love for you. Um, you know, I, I won't pray it for you, but I will actually. Take a, a passage like this and just turn it into prayer and say, Lord, I thank you that there was a time when I was dead in, in, dead in my sins and in my sinful nature, but I declare, God, you have made me alive with Christ. I know the evidence at times would suggest that I'm not alive, but this is the truth, Lord. This is the real evidence. You've, you've set me free. You forgave me all my sins. You've canceled the written code with its regulations that was against me and stood opposed to me. You took it away. You've nailed it to the cross. And, and so, Lord, I receive your freedom. I don't receive the condemnation. I receive your freedom. And, and begin to pray the scriptures and let him speak to you with his word. Um, the other thing that, that I would encourage you to do is take an objective inventory of your sins. Now, how does this fit with being honest in prayer? Well, um, I think sometimes it would be helpful for us to sit down and say, Lord, what are the sins in my life? Some of you are going, "Well, I'm not even sure I would know. Well, you can always ask your wife. She could help you. You know, You could ask your friends. How many of you know your friends often know your issues sometimes better than you do? And this is an opportunity, maybe even in small groups, where we could speak the truth and love to one another, in love. Okay, One of the reasons we risk doing this with people is because if we get this honest with somebody, we're afraid that they'll want us to get that honest with them, and we'll have to reciprocate. But the truth is, that's what we need. And um, Martin Sanders tells the story of going into a room with four guys. Martin's a prophet at the seminary, and he was in his 30s. And he grabbed four, three or four guys that he really trusted, and he said, "I need to go into a room with you, and I need to help you, or I need you to help me uh, deal with my stuff." And they were in there for about 12 hours, and Martin said that he went back into his childhood, talked about sins that he'd committed, things that he'd done, and he brought it all to the surface and said, "Walk me through it." I mean, I've, I've asked forgiveness for this stuff, but in some ways, the condemnation still attacks me. And go through be honest about what you've done in the past be honest about what you're still doing and bring it into the light um, with people that you trust now I I will say this not every place is safe Um, you do need to be careful but at the same time you have to risk vulnerability because the reality is even if you get burned by being vulnerable by being open by being honest it's still a better place to be than living in hiddenness. And so uh, I think it's time for us to be honest in prayer with one another, S- be honest in journaling. Uh, my wife and I have journaled for years, and we've made promises to each other that whoever dies first, the other will burn the journal so the kids don't get them, you know. And uh, I said that a few years ago, and my son went, Dad don't you guys dare burn those things. And I went, no, I don't want you reading my journals. And he goes, Dad, I, I already have. I'm like, okay, thanks. Um, you know, but, uh, but you know, in some ways, I don't want that out there. But the truth is, it's a record of the pilgrimage that Jesus has taken me on. And it's something that, uh, that God has done in me. And it's, he's doing in you. So keep your journals, reread them, celebrate the victories, be careful, you may want to keep them in a safe place so your son doesn't read them um, or you may want to share them with people and remember, it's not always safe to be open um, But having said that, that's the disclaimer. you have to risk you have to go for it because the other option is worse to live in hiddenness and hiding. finally, uh see be honest with close friends and spiritual directors. Who are the people in your life right now? Who are they? And I think some of them are right here in this room that if you were to share with them deep stuff, maybe things you've never shared with anybody, I want you to know they would love you. In fact, more than love you, they would probably press in in a healthy, loving way um, and surprise you with the level of grace that flowed from them through them to you. And uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, We need others to help us to stay in the truth and to reaffirm the love of Christ. All right, in conclusion, uh, what I'm calling for with this Aletheia model, atmosphere, is that we've got to come to the place where we model vulnerability as a strength, not as a weakness. In other words, for many years, pastors and leaders kind of set themselves up on this this, uh, pedestal. And the truth is... um, we're on the journey with you and i know you're thankful that you have someone like edward that that understands the power of vulnerability to share uh about the battles about the struggles and guys we need to model vulnerability uh, as a strength and not as a weakness because when you're vulnerable you're in essence saying hey i'm redeemed but i'm still human Uh, i am set free by the blood of christ but i'm not home yet and we're all still in process um Sandra Wilson, a wonderful Christian counselor, puts it this way. The reason Christians fall is not because they forget they're holy, but because they forget they're human. And so leaders, men, you've got to model vulnerability as a strength and not as a weakness. One of the ways you do that is you text your kids and you say, I'm sorry, I was too harsh with you. Um, I grew up with a dad that never said he was sorry to me until I was in my twenties and then God did a work in his life and he started to come to me and say, son, I'm sorry for the way I, I treated you. And, uh, the Lord brought incredible healing in my relationship with my dad, but through my childhood and my youth, my dad never said he was sorry, never told me he loved me because he modeled strength. He modeled strength and vulnerability in his world was a weakness. Uh, secondly, when we choose honesty, it gives others permission to be honest and vulnerable too. Um, we're just here for a short few hours. You're going to meet in groups tomorrow. If you choose to sit in your group with your arms crossed, with your back against the wall, and you let everybody else share, you'll successfully shut everybody down just a little bit more. But if you open up your, your posture, your heart, and you say, I'm going to go for it, when you begin to model that, um, other men will jump in with you. It gives us permission to be honest and vulnerable as well. If you want a safe place, be a safe place. Uh, I've I've had people say to me, even this week, we started a spiritual formation class on Tuesday night, and I had people come to me and say, you know what, you're putting us in these small groups, but uh, I'm just not convinced that it can be a safe place for me. And what I say to them is, look, if you want a safe place, how would you define that? Well, they're not going to share what I tell them. Will you covenant not to share what they tell you? Yeah, I'll do that. It's amazing to me how when someone models back what they need, it begins to open up and uh, people begin to feel safe to share. And then finally, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. Um, Quite a few years ago now, the senior pastor that I was working with had a mental and emotional breakdown, physical breakdown too he crashed. Uh, He was later diagnosed as having depleted his adrenal system, and he began to have panic attacks and agoraphobia, and not a good thing if you're a pastor of a church of 800, and uh, was in a mental hospital for a month. That's how wiped out he was. And God began to restore him through good counseling, through spiritual formation. Uh, The Holy Spirit did some amazing healing in him, and after about two months, he came back to the pulpit, and his first sermon was titled, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And he stood up and we had 800 people there that Sunday and they were all excited to have the pastor back. You know, what What book is he going to preach through? And he preached this sermon on brokenness and weakness and vulnerability and how uh, I'm tired of pretending I have my act together. And And from the word he preached on vulnerability. And at a certain point in his sermon he said this, It's okay not to be okay in this church. And all of a sudden, a woman, about seven or eight rows back, started to sob. And he went, that's right, that's okay. I mean, I think, I'm the executive pastor, and I was ready to call the ushers to have her hauled out, you know. And he's going, that's okay, leave her, she's all right. And, and she began to weep. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to get out of control. Okay, uh, You can't do that in a, a room of 800 people. And then all of a sudden, I heard weeping next to me. And I looked, and it was my wife. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to be a mess because she knows all about my stuff and if she starts to believe this stuff about vulnerability, she might not just share her stuff, she might, oh no. And then the truth is, Wanda not only started to weep, she started to sob and she fell to her knees and just. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. But the truth is, over the next few months in that church, we saw God do amazing things. Truth is, that's probably why Wanda and I are still married after 25 years because we both chose to get pretty real and pretty vulnerable. And we watched as God did a lot of healing. Um, This is just some suggestions for your group time tomorrow. Uh, I think it is hard for men in a church setting to get honest. But you might want to ask each other, why is it hard? What makes it tough for us to be honest with one another? Um, What are some of the things that maybe we can be honest about secondly in what areas do you need a priest with skin on you know again i know jesus is our our high priest but what areas do you need a brother to say over you you are forgiven and you are loved and you are accepted and then what is the risk if we choose to be honest there are some risks but i think the risks of choosing to stay in hiddenness are greater What is the risk if we choose not to be honest? And so, um, again, I I wanted to do this tonight because I wanted to set you up for tomorrow. We're going to talk about grieving tomorrow. And um, I I know there's more men coming. Um, They will not have had this teaching, but you have. And so what I'm asking you guys to do is to be the leaders. Be the leaders to vulnerability. Be the leaders to honesty. And, uh, and you may even want to just share with them a little bit about, w- about what you were challenged to um, as we started on this night. Let me pray for you. Jesus, it's uh, been a long week. Some of us are very tired. But that may be exactly where you want us because we're kind of dropping our guard and we're allowing our fists and our our hands that are so busy and full of work to go to our sides. And so, Lord, we say, do in us anything you need to do that you might do everything you want to do through us, Lord. Do something deep in the men of this church this weekend, God. Touch them. Draw them close to one another. Draw them close to your heart, Jesus, through one another. Lord, we pray for real community, real accountability, real heartfelt honesty so that we can stop fighting the battles for the behavior, for the symptoms, for the surface, and really watch as the banner of God goes over our heart as you win and as you continue to win. Father, I pray that... uh, that even tonight as we talk and as we fellowship and as we, as, as we love one another and laugh with one another, I, I pray that our defenses would begin to go down. I pray even in our fellowship time, um, as we don't appear to be doing spiritual stuff, that real spiritual work would be done. As, uh, as these men maybe get to know one another in a deeper way than they've had opportunity. Lord, let the love of the Lord go to the deepest places of who they are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.